The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I have with me Steve Gleave. He is a marketing director in the Strategic Missions and Technologies Group at Microsoft with a specific focus on Azure for Operators. Steve, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Carrie. Fantastic to be here, coming in hot from Arizona. So uh, delighted. So tell me, how did you get to where you are today? You're in a very interesting role at Microsoft. Yeah, quite a journey. Yes, I'm currently a director in the SMT team, sort of focus really on Azure for Operators there. We'll get into that in a minute, I guess. This is like the 11th tech company, I was counting it the other day, that I've worked for. And throughout that time, I've really been at companies that have sold products, partnered with telcos. That was mostly a few with enterprise, a couple doing business with the feds. It was an interesting journey. I was an engineering grad out of a college called Bristol University in the UK, hence the accent. Uh, never worked a single day as an engineer, though. I went straight into tech support and then into sales and really for as long as I can remember now into marketing. And then I moved to the US in the, gosh, late 90s and went to Silicon Valley. And then I've bounced around from Silicon Valley to DC and then back to Silicon Valley and now make a home in, in Phoenix, Arizona. It's kind of weird that I stayed in the US, though. Fun fact, I relocated from the UK, sold everything, moved out to California to work for a guy at a tech company back then. And the day I landed, he quit the company and basically said, well, good luck. And I've been here ever since. So tell me one lesson that you've learned in your career. Like if, if you're talking, let's say, a young person and you want to say, look, I learned this lesson in my career. And maybe if I, if I had it to do over, I would do it differently. Or this was a valuable lesson that I learned. Yeah. I think to me, the thing that matters most is that tech changes every day. I often think if I was like making pizzas that the dough doesn't change every week or the pepperoni is kind of the same. But when you're in tech, you know, in my career, I've gone from TDM to ATM to IP. We've gone from dedicated appliances to cloud software. We've gone from classified switches to soft switches. We've gone through so many of these significant changes and you just got to keep learning. You've got to stay on top of the technologies as they come and go. And and the challenge is that you have to be aware of those because that's what you're marketing, but sometimes what your customers are buying isn't exactly what you're marketing. So there's that sort of paradox almost, if you like, or that discontinuity between the stuff that you're aware of, the stuff that you're positioning, and the stuff that your customers are actually able to take on at any given moment in time. Because, of course, they typically move slower than the vendors do who are constantly innovating. So what is Azure for Operators? Well, it's an initiative. So basically what happened here is that Azure for Operators has this mission to help operators modernize and monetize their network infrastructure. That's how we like to explain it. 
I don't necessarily love the phrase, but it's used a lot in the industry. We have what we would call a, a full stack solution. So when we talk about helping our operators do this, modernize and monetize, we like to think that we bring a complete solution to them, but that solution is enhanced by the many partners that we work with. So if, if you look at that quote unquote stack, it starts at the bottom with what we call a hybrid cloud platform. And that's a combination of, of public cloud resources and then an intelligent edge, which can be deployed on a operator premises or even on an enterprise premises as well. So these elements sort of deployed all over. And then the applications that you run on it are deployed in regions or locations that really depend on the kind of applications that they are. So, you know, oftentimes you hear people go, well, I don't want to put my stuff in the cloud. But the reality is that the cloud can be on their premises as much as it can be anywhere else. So we have this hybrid cloud, which then accesses cloud services for management, for deployment, for scaling, for analytics, uh, et cetera. So that's the kind of the base, that's the platform. And then on top of that, you have network functions. So think about mobile core elements, voice core elements, the guts of telco services that can then run on that platform. So on top of the hybrid cloud platform, you then have what's called network functions. These are kind of the guts of telco services. Think mobile core services, voice core services. So we have a suite of those that run on that hybrid cloud platform. And some of those are from Microsoft and many of those are from our partners as well. On top of that, you have a, an analytics layer. Basically, telcos generate petabytes of sort of metadata each day around their subscribers. And so you want ways to analyze that data to basically be able to quickly identify and resolve issues, to look at how you can improve network efficiencies. And then also in that layer is a, a kind of a management layer, an ability to deploy complex services by communicating commands out to the cloud and saying, put this software here, deploy that, make these connections. So you have both kind of analytical platforms and then also what we would call orchestration or lifecycle management platforms. And then on top of that, you have this sort of monetization layer, like how do you actually create new revenue on the network? So in that layer, we would have things like private wireless enterprise solutions, programmable connectivity options, being able to program features in the network. We have something called a, a public mech solution, which is advanced 5G services from inside the operator's network, how you might connect your network into Microsoft Teams. So things there that you can add on top. So that's really our entire layer, our entire sort of full layer stack. And then we wrapped that up in the Azure Zero Trust Security Framework and a kind of a DevOps uh, configuration and control environment. And yeah, that's what we do. So how is Azure for Operators helping service providers navigate that intersection of AI, cloud network, and, and those modern connected apps? Yeah, it's a question we get a lot. I tend to look at it in a few ways. First of all, like sort of, well, why do we exist at all? You know, let alone before we start throwing in AI and, and modern connected apps. And, you know, the original idea here is you want to bring the, the benefits of the cloud to the operating side of the telco. So not the IT side of the telco, but the operating side, the, the services that they sell to their consumers and, and, and enterprise customers. And so you're, you're trying to bring the, the sort of the well-advertised benefits of the cloud to that. So you've got scalability, agility, the, the cost efficiencies, the usage-based, consumption models, sustainability. So that was kind of the early appeal of the cloud. And then what we found at Azure for Operators is you don't just take a regular, if that's a word, cloud kind of off the shelf and apply it to real-time communications networks. You, you need expertise 
on exactly how the demands of these networks are so stringent and the world in which telcos work. And so Microsoft actually acquired two companies to kind of buy that telco DNA, to buy some software stacks. So then we stitched that together. So now we've got the cloud and now we've got the telco DNA. But then really what operators want is they don't just want you to help modernize their infrastructure. They're constantly modernizing their infrastructure. They've been doing that since time began. But they also want to monetize that infrastructure. So how can we do more with these assets? And there's been a big push lately on what's called programmable networks, where you extend a bunch of uh, what's known as APIs, application programming interfaces, out from the networks that you have. There are standards for this now, or certainly recommendations for this. And we make those available inside Azure so that our big developer communities can be creating applications for telco networks that leverage those APIs. And then we have this phrase that we call modern connected applications, which says, look, the future cloud is kind of fully distributed. There's edge compute all over. And if you really want to be successful with apps on a telco network, you've got to make them accessible for developers to essentially write those applications. And then you want to create an environment where they can write it once and kind of run it anywhere. And so we believe in distributed compute, uh, connectivity all over, whether that's uh, typical landline or terrestrial communications, but also uh, space connectivity as well. We see quantum computing factoring in here and really looking at how people can write apps today that take advantage of those many elements of, of telco networks and, and the ways that people connect. So we do all of that. Sorry. Right. No, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, just realized I was going to take a breath. And then uh, you mentioned AI as well, of course, which is on, yeah. on everybody's mind. And so how do we do that as well? I mean, look, we've been in, in AI ML for a long time. There's been Azure services with those names for quite some time. A lot of that was what I would call sort of more narrow, narrow AI or narrow ML, basically looking at amounts of data and being able to analyze that data and make decisions based on it. And of course, quite recently, uh, Microsoft has been associated with OpenAI. We've made a lot of announcements around what we call co-pilots. So we're putting sort of co-pilot technology in pretty much every strand of our, of our product lines across the company. And then what that does, obviously, is to enhance those products, to make those products more usable for end users. We're, we're doing a lot of uh, allowing people to do uh, LLM or foundation model training on Azure. We're providing access to that through Azure AI Studio. Telcos know that they've got to figure out AI. They see it as vital to improving customer experiences and managing their networks more intelligently and empowering their employees. And we're helping them with all of that. So why hyperscalers? I mean, I hear a lot about hyperscalers. First, we might want to define what that is, right? But why do hyperscalers and telcos make good partners? Yeah, great question. I mean, hyperscalers, you can just sort of think of those really the largest cloud sort of operators. Typically, when you talk hyperscalers, you're talking Microsoft, of course, but you're also talking Amazon and Google and, and Oracle. And some people put Red Hat and companies like that in there as well. We make good partners because we understand how to do things at scale. I mean, telcos have always done things at scale. Millions of subscribers. They have very strict guidelines that they have to meet in terms of performance and being secure and providing high degrees of customer confidence in their networks. And the hyperscalers have obviously built massive, you know, probably the biggest machines in the world now, 
so we we see things the same way but clearly the sort of the two things grow up slightly differently in terms of the need for what was called five nines availability very high availability in telco networks and maybe originally three or four nines in the cloud right it wasn't completely unheard of for the cloud to go down but it's still unheard of for telco networks basically to go down but obviously those worlds are, are now colliding so telcos bring their connectivity they bring their customer relationships they bring all of the things that they do well and hyperscalers bring this kind of new approach to how things could should be run for maximum efficiency for you know maybe better sustainability the ability to scale to only be using resources when you need them so if you're a telco who's gone through this transition where products used to run on dedicated equipment from dedicated equipment providers that split apart about 10 years ago with something called network functions virtualization where people started saying well let's split these into software and then off the shelf hardware and then that quickly became well let's split this into software cloud native software running in hyperscale clouds because these guys do a great job of providing all of the sort of equipment the platform that we would need to run these on so a company like microsoft in particular we say listen we'll meet you where you are wherever you are on this journey we can continue with the way you've currently got your networks architected or we can gradually experiment and bring parts of your network into our cloud running on our platforms we don't compete with your core business you do connectivity you manage customers we help you with the back end infra we have a development community a developer community which of course can help write these new modern connected apps these are the things we bring we know the things that that you guys do well you stitch those together and i think it has great promise on on both sides of the fence so steve i'd like your opinion on the future of work but i want to take it from look at it from a wider lens what macro forces do you see that impacting the workforce right now hmm i'm a little bit i'm not a doomsayer at all but i got kids who are teenage now and i've i've spent a bit of time looking at this because it really intrigues me what their future of work looks like and i think to me there's some really really interesting macro forces that maybe don't get talked about enough in just in tech in general or what the future is going to hold for both employers and employees and some of the things that i've been sort of quite vocal on is that the workforce to an extent is getting hammered and it's getting hammered in a bit of a supply chain way because the supply chain is going to get tighter and tighter and and here's why there's a number of things that are happening the first thing is that the birth rate is going down across the world i mean this is a fascinating topic we've gone for hours on it but you know typically you have what's called a replacement rate typically how many children do couples need to have in order to keep the population the same rate and that's normally 2.1 children basically per couple pretty much across the world in the developed nations the number the actual birth rate is way lower than that in the US it's about 1.6 china it's 1.3 south korea is the lowest in the world 0.8 so people are having less babies fewer babies and what this means is that populations are going down on the current schedule of, of birth rates on the current rates the projections are that the population of china would be half by the year 2100 Japan would be down 53 million. The global population is estimated to be down 1 billion from where it is today by the end of the century. That's a major factor. 
Then on top of that, you've got all these other things going on. You've got college enrollment is falling off a cliff right now. There's 4 million less students in American colleges than there were 10 years ago. Enrollments are dropping. 63% of high school grads are saying they want to go to college. That's down from like 75%. People are getting sticker shot with the prices. They don't understand the financial aid options. The birth rate dropped after the, I've lost track, whenever the last great recession was, 2008, birth rate dropped significantly. That is now impacting kids who are coming into college. So there are just less people and coming through. And the people who are already out there, they're being overworked. You know, stress is a real issue at work now. And there's some uncertainty around layoffs, of course. And very interesting survey I came across from a company called Qualtrics and also from Prudential, just about employee engagement. People's ambition seems to have gone down during covid there's a difference between generations. High percentage of Gen Z are kind of more focused on getting the job done, whereas boomers typically have a better attitude towards going above and beyond. So you're really seeing some generational change in approach to work and actually the supply chain over the next few decades. So I hear you. And again, we're not going to solve this in the next six minutes, <laughs> but uh-huh. do you have any ideas, you know, anything, I mean, the, you know, we have less people in the workforce and everything you just said with the enrollment and universities dropping and, and looking at solutions, I mean, it would make, obviously make sense to say, okay, automation and machine learning and robotics and all of that, but any other solutions here that me as a leader could take from this and say, this is something I need to start doing now. So, you know, I can attract, engage and retain the workforce that I need to get the job done. Yeah. So there's a couple of parts to that. I do want to quickly talk about the tech side of it and then also just maybe some of the the softer side of it. I mean, obviously, AI or generative AI is a massive addition here from a productivity boost. I mean, Satya, our CEO is in the Wall Street Journal saying something like we we need to need something that truly changes the the productivity curve so we can have real economic growth. We do this work trend index. I was reading that the other day. And in there, Sadia again was saying that this new generation of AI will remove the drudgery of work. It will unleash creativity. There's this opportunity for AI-powered tools to alleviate what he calls digital debt, build AI aptitude, empower employees. Because this work trend index that Microsoft runs every year about across about 31,000 people it found that 57% of time for the those surveyed was spent communicating and only 43% was spent creating. So we do all of this, waste all of this time by not being able to find information easily, by having too many meetings, by lacking clear goals. And AI can really help alleviate all of this. And, and people said that 49% of people were worried about AI replacing their jobs, but 70% would really welcome delegating as much work as possible to AI to lessen their workload. So AI is absolutely going to help improve our efficiencies. And I think that's a, a, a massive part of what helps us as we go forward here in terms of are there just less people to do it. But on the softer side of things, if I'm an employer, if I'm a leader, I'm looking to get the right people, not just to get people. I'm looking to sell a purpose about what we're doing. I'm trying to be at companies that do good things, that care about the environment, that care about their employers. I would be as interested in hiring older people as I would younger people. I think there's some age discrimination going on in the industry and old people got an awful lot of good knowledge. I'd be flexible. I think that everybody wants to live in, in Seattle or Boston or San Fran or you know San Jose. I think you 
Steve Case, the, the AOL guy, he had a book out that I was reading called The Rise of the Rest, really talking about how people now are living in, in other places and how those places are thriving. Um, and I think we should be talent-centric, not org-centric. Everybody likes to fill a gap to put somebody in an org chart. I think you've got to look at the people who are coming through the door and go, how do we best use them? What's the career path for this person? Not stick them on the ladder of like, well, you start here and then you go here and then you go here and then you go here. And then. Brilliant. I love it. You talked about stress in the workplace briefly, and I know it's at an all-time high right now. How do we de-stress the work environment? Big fan of hybrid work. I get it. I get it why we need offices, and, and I get it why we don't. I mean, some days, Carrie, I'll do 14 hours, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say I'm overworking, but I wonder how I ever spent two hours commuting. You know what I mean? It's like that would have just been extra time, extra stress, extra parking, I used to live in the Bay Area. It could take me three hours sometimes to drive 25 miles home. You know, that kind of time we don't have. So I think people do have to continue with an element of hybrid working just because of the efficiencies. And there's a sort of paradox where sort of employees find they're more productive when they work hybrid, but the employers sometimes have sort of a lack of confidence in their productivity levels when they're remote. So we kind of got to get over this whole disconnect between where I think I'm most efficient and where you know generically where my boss may think i do I do my best work so i think that's important hybrid work should be here to stay i think we should reduce the number of meetings i really do <laughs> right i mean it's unbelievable how much time we all spend i read something the other day about someone saying you should limit them all to 15 minutes i don't think it's a bad idea you know if you could knock out four meetings in an hour and then leave plenty of time for you to actually get on with your job and then also there was this interesting thing by a, a nonprofit called the Four Day Week Global. They did some research with companies and researchers at some of the higher end colleges. And they did this thing over like six months and with about 30 odd companies and 900 workers trying a four day work week and no reduction in pay, nothing else changed. And the results were off the charts, right? Everybody thought it was brilliant. Uh, apparently, um, those responding to the survey rated it very highly based on productivity and performance. Workers were positive about reporting lower levels of stress and fatigue and insomnia and burnout. And so I think there's some really interesting things there that, you know, at the end of the day, um, we have to realize we're only human. I mean, how hard, how efficient can we be? I mean, you know, if, if I'm running 100 meters, there's probably a, a time that is the maximum the fastest a human could ever run. And like right now it's 959. It's not going to get down to seven and a half seconds, right? So we push people to the absolute maximum. And I think constantly trying to get more efficiency out of people just adds to the stress levels. There's things that people can do. You work for a company that's got a great mission. You empower your employees. You're focused on really compelling goals and you're trying to bring individuals through as opposed to an org chart through. And I think that can really help. Yes, I think that we need to keep an open mind and we need to really have a paradigm shift. The way it was is not going to take us into the future when it comes to people and humans and, and workforce. It's going to look different. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Everything you said was spot on, Steve. So Steve, we have run out of time. This has been fascinating. Again, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours on this topic. Oh, I want to thank, thank you. you so much. Where can we learn more about uh, about you, about Azure for Operators, what's your website? Well, I think the easiest place to go is we have a URL, which is quite simply microsoft.com slash telecom. So microsoft.com slash telecom, that's really your entry point to 
everything micro does, uh, micro, everything Microsoft does with telecom and telcos. And that will lead you through and down to Azure for operators. And you can move sideways to the strategic missions and tech group. As for me personally, LinkedIn, you know, as good a place as any. Been on there really since day one. Uh, I don't do Twitter X anymore. So don't look <laughs> for me there. <laughs> I really want to be part of that now. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on there. So look me up there. And um, like I say, Microsoft.com slash telecom. Wonderful. Steve, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Carrie. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Have a great one. You too. Take care. See you. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.